Hello. Andy. Hey, Matt. So it's our last episode on positivity. Got anything to add? So I think positivity when it comes to like your everyday work is sometimes quite hard to find, especially yep. when, and obviously, you know, we work in kind of project management, mm -hmm. when we use terms like postmortems. Yeah. You yes. know, we do postmortems at the end of a project. Yeah. We're using a term that's literally used to describe, well, I guess, opening up like a dead body to yeah. find out what happened. It's the death of something. Um, exactly. And so we try and do um, quite regular retros. And I think it's an interesting oh, nice. way of just trying to turn it on its head a little bit. Yep. Find out what went well in what you've been doing. It's really easy to just try and niggle because we always want to be better. But it's it's even more important to actually ward yourselves for the yeah. things that went right and to be able to take them and make sure like, you know, you've almost bottled the formula for getting things right yeah. um, to take it into your next project. So uh, let's let's ban postmortems and let's use <laughs> retros or something more positive. Yeah. That was Andy Wright from Streamtime, good friend and supporter of ADR. If you haven't tried them before, you can get a free trial and a 20% discount by going to www.streamtime.net slash ADR2020. Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast seeking to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. This episode is recorded on Gundungara, Darug and Gadigal land, and we acknowledge traditional owners of country, their enduring connections to the land, knowledge and stories, paying respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm your host, Matt Leach, and I'm on this mini-series, we're talking about positivity, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samita Maharaj, Associate Design Director at RE and Never Not Creative board member. Never Not Creative is a connecting theme here as our guest for this episode is the co-creator of NNC, V. Dewey. Self-described connector and catalyst currently based in London, V has a wealth of experience working in some huge brands like Adobe, Mattel, and most recently Redesign Business, which launched at the London Design Festival in 2020. This chat about positivity was a perfect opportunity to get V on the show. She's fast becoming known in the international design community for her unending passion for making a better design future. She's very comfortable pointing out what's wrong with the status quo, but she's also not content to leave it there. Through her numerous projects she's involved in, she's actively trying to make a change. This episode also marks the end of this series of my co-host, Samita. It's been an absolute dream to work with her on this. She picks up on things I miss completely, and her questions always lead to a much deeper answer from our guests. So thank you, Samita. I'm hoping you'll come back for some more mini-series in the future. Okay, let's get into the episode. All of us really got to know each other because we're all working together on Never Not Creative, which is really exciting. Now, we're all doing different things on this, but... I personally remember that when I first met you, I thought that you had actually cracked the secret to the 30-hour sort of work day. You were very high-functioning, a very busy lady. It was incredibly impressive, and I'm not going to lie, a little bit intimidating, to be honest. Can you tell us a bit of what you're doing for NNC? So currently, I am co-creator with Andy Wright, and what I'm supposed to do is I'm in the UK. I live in London. I'm just supposed to carry it over here in the UK I just released a podcast series in conjunction with Dragon Rouge on the concept of failure with her former ECD and also just making any connections, though it's a little bit, I guess you could say, stunted at the moment because I'm working on my MBA. So my, with my scrambled egg brain at time and just the capacity, I can't do as much. 
Additionally, uh, on top of that, I was very entrenched in the U.S. design community. Hopefully, I can also help with that in the future. So I really want to get into the MBA, but before we go any further, I do want to delve into your history a little bit. Uh, and I think I want to pick up when when I told you what the theme was and the themes about positivity. I think you said, I'm quoting, Lord, if you knew my career journey, positivity was needed. Can you give us a bit more explanation about that? In general, we've heard the term squiggly line career so much more in the last like couple of years. My career definitely has been because even just going into the industry, I almost even go to design. I was two terms away from an international relations and French major. Really? Yep. I was at American University and I even studied in South Africa for a millisecond too because my focus was sub-Saharan Africa and with intentions of going to the foreign service. But I did go into design career. What happened was I did burn out. So I didn't go right into the design industry, but I kept persevering. I did visuals for J. Crew, moved to Los Angeles and did visuals there. So even though I graduated in a certain year, it was about 18 months to two years until I actually delved into the industry. I had a contract at a company in publishing and once that ended, I ended up going back and doing internship with one of my design idols, April Griman. So it was like, there's always like a step forward, a step back, and then letting things seed. I think just being positive, just knowing things were coming and believing in my gut and just knowing there's something there. After April Griman, I left and I did more freelancing and contract work within the LA design scene. And then I just started getting disenchanted. I almost was like, should I go into finance? What helped was I had a mentor she was the only design person I knew prior to joining or moving to LA after grad school uh, from Selberg and Perkins, which is one of the top environmental wayfinding signage, et cetera, studio in the world. And I worked with them for a bit. And then that sort of got me back into the groove. Then that's how I, I got an opportunity to join Mattel, was there for nearly a decade. But even though I had a job for 10 years, the positivity had to maintain itself because you're dealing with corporate. I don't want to say too much to because I've had some lovely experiences there, but if you know the dance car of a woman working in corporate, that was my experience. Being in a corporate world as a shareholder return, quarterly reports. And I remember it was Q4 2011. So in January 2014, I came back from a crave mornings one Friday. And I just felt there was a metaphorical gray cloud over the whole design center. Until I left, it was uphill and downhill. And I was like probably one of the f- people just couldn't believe like I always would be saying hi to people in the hallway, always smiling. I absorbed a lot of that, but I just had to try to maintain a positivity, knowing that there's something better, something bigger. So I think it was just, I had, I will be honest, I've had down moments, but I always knew at the end of the day, as I said, you know, just said before, is I just had to believe my gut. See, that's really interesting to me. And you talk about positivity and having to be positive when you're quite young in your career, your creative career, right? So, and this might sound like a strange question, but was your were you always a naturally positive person or was this positivity something, especially when you had knocks when you were quite young in your industry, was that something that you had to constantly cultivate and almost learn like a muscle? It is. And I also, too, I will have to say at the same time, at certain points in my career, I also had a very difficult marriage at the same time. So I was having difficulties on both ends. Um, I was dealing with a lot in my life. I've, I think as women, we've dealt with a lot of gaslighting from all fronts. So that was like my life for a while. I think it had to be cultivated, but it's also looking to alternative modalities because I was born and raised Catholic. And one of my favorite books, and I know it's not like the Bhagavad Gita or something or something more established, but it's the Herman Hesse's book, um, Siddhartha. And that's always, I've always had a copy with me and traveled with it. So I, I always would go back to that in the early stages. But then as I've got progressed in my career and gotten older, 
I've looked into other modalities. Since I was six years old, I've gone to a homeopath or a chiropractor, but now I'm dealing with more Reiki. I'm dealing with energy work and that helps fuel and ground me. And so that's able to maintain the positivity because at the end of the day, I think a lot of the reasons why I maybe had issues is I would get caught up here and not be in my body. It's only been the last five years that I've been able to do that. But I will have to say, Sumi, in the beginning of my career, it definitely was tough. I just just knew there was something. And even I remember some points I would reflect upon my experience in South Africa and working in, in, in uh, the local township near my uni. And that sometimes would help bring me back into reality, be like, okay, I'm lucky to have this experience. And then I, the other thing too, was just connecting with people ultimately. Um, I know I'm going a little roundabout, but connecting with people as I think about it too. As long as I'm able to maintain connection with inspiring or just helping people, I think that would also that also brought positivity to me because I'm a connector by nature and that gives me an energy buzz when I can help people. You talked about being a connector. Where does that come from? Like, is that from your parents? Like, are your parents creative or? Um, I would say my parents, in some way, my mother language linguistically and writing, she's creative. My dad, maybe not. He's his family for generations have been in cabinetry making. So there's that side of creativity. Even my um my uncle, one of his older brothers, I will have to say he is like a Renaissance man. Um, because you we have land still from our family that was from King George the Eighth in Vermont. Oh really? Yeah. Um, he's built a couple buildings on it that look like you know replicas from the 18th century. I think just using that anecdote and that story is I feel it's like maybe it's generational and so forth and it's exhibited in different ways in my family. So, but then even on my mom's side, like my, one of my great uncles was really into writing and reading and other forms of creativity. So, but when it comes to more applied creativity, I'm the first one that really had ventured out into that. But when it comes to connecting, I feel it's always been in my, built into me. My mother tells me stories about when I was in nursery school, the teachers would say that Vanessa would know every day what toys were brought back onto the floor, who was playing with what and so forth. So I was able to make those mental connections like that. It's almost like the knowing the back of your hand, because I could just say, for example, when I was with the AIGA in Los Angeles, if I did an event in a certain area and about a certain theme and so forth, I would be able to just know who I would need to connect with. And some people would be would say to me, how can you connect with for sponsorship, for example, with a non-creative or non-design sponsor? And I'm like, and I was able to always find connections. I just my brain works that way. It's hard to explain when people ask me to, but it's just always been innate with me. But I find that very interesting. And and what you said just prior about how your family was creative in lots of different ways, I think in your work you find connections in not a standard way. You approach creativity as very all inclusive. Like someone could design a brand, but they could also design a spoon. Like you you literally look at it in a very holistic overview sort of way, which is very, very unique. You really truly know that everybody can be creative in this creativity in everybody. And I, I, that that makes sense with your family. Oh, thank you. Because I remember even when I created my role at Mattel, the last role I was there called The Hub, it was part of Refill and supported the 400 plus creatives during the beginning of the cultural and digital transformation about was it 2016. And I remember I did a podcast, we never got, it, we worked on it, but never got officially released, but it was um, connecting with creatives. I think the title was, but it's because I feel everybody in Mattel, regardless, even if you are in finance, though, you have to probably err on caution on being too creative in finance, but everybody <laughs> should be creative. And even at that point too, I remember I was at a Simon Sinek talk in Los Angeles for, I forgot which book and somebody asked him about 
creativity and company. I forgot the whole question, but he's like, you're a company that deals with play in essence, creativity and should be in every, even in like your invoices or your JDs, there should be an element of creativity. So it definitely is in there. And that's the one thing I tried to evoke whilst I was still at Mattel. You know, everybody is creative. And the difference I think is a lot of people, when you think of creativity, you may go right to a designer or to an artist that has been trained, had 10,000 hours of training. There's a difference. There's so much pedigree. Yes. And it's so elitist. And that's why your approach is really like quite refreshing. Well, it, it even goes off on that point too, because I remember innovation and creative conference, sorry, creative con I had, I was talking with John Maida and he loved the fact that as a designer, I was an HR or L and D. And that always made me think when he was commenting about that, it made me think for what a decade or so we've heard, oh, designers, we need a seat at the table. And in essence, a CDO, CCO. But I'm like, would that really make the right impact? I've always felt that almost like what IBM has done with their design thinking enterprise sort of route is bringing design or creativity into other roles. Imagine if the head of HR is by trade a designer, imagine, or just something in that sense, like IBM has brought in design thinking into their HR discipline. But I think that's where we need to bring in creativity at other levels. Like even I was listening to a UAL social innovation talk last week. Um, Indy Jahar was one of the panelists. And he sort of had this provocation about the new society, new economy and all since like, at least since I started listening to him and became acquainted with him, more or less, he was saying that in the new society, creativity needs to be at the center of society and of this change. Um, I think we need to definitely look at creativity in different ways of not just to your points to me, not just like the traditional sense, but it's like infusing in different ways because what our society has brought us to, it is a neoclassical mechanistic society that compartmentalizes everything. We don't need that. We need creativity to be able to create something better. I think creativity brings us, it sounds lofty, but I think it brings us closer to ourselves. I really do. And I think we need more of it. What do you mean by that? Explain explain that a bit more. I just think that, and I'm, I'm going to explain it quite clumsily, um, we always categorize people as creative or not creative. You do this role, you do this role. We all have it in us. Hmm. As children, we were creative. We're always creative. We always play. I think it brings us back to our sense of selves, our gut, our instinct, how we relate to people. And I think we lose that. I really do. Hmm. I'm looking at a different way of teaching design, teaching creativity. And it was actually the founder, Mel, said to me, can we do it the opposite way? Like, let's let's just have them playing and then we'll tell them what they've done. I think that's where you get innovation. I think that we get lost in all of that other stuff that we've learned to do and we forget what we kind of know instinctively. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so jumping forward a little bit, how did you end up in London? One of the earliest memories I still have is maybe a toddler was that I did not want to live in the United States when I grew up at all. Um, eventually, my mom, she lived in Austria in the 70s. And then my grandmother traveled a lot. I knew a lot of people from Europe. So I think that influenced me a lot, but just something in the gut. But that took, it took like several decades to get to this point. But what had happened was it was in 2018, I had just joined Adobe. And I was coming over to Europe, coming to London to set up a creative marketing program called um, the enterprise version of Creative Jam. And just something clicked. I became disenchanted with the US design community, honestly. They're very, I have some amazing friends in there and all, but it wasn't feeding me the way maybe it was feeding my friends. And I needed different nourishment. And when I came here, it felt like I could probably be accepted more because I had branched away from a tangible 
you know, packaging branding route where it's very visual to a point where it is probably more strategic, more invisible. And people, I, I loved it once there's this global design leader at Mattel. When I changed my career, they said to me, oh, do you miss being creative? And I'm like, what? Like in my mind, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I'm probably more creative and it lasts, the impact will be felt more long-term. So when I was in London, just seeing the likes of Bomb Pass and Par, uh, the studio, the food and essence experiential design firm being accepted. I'm like, that would never fly in the US or be as widely accepted. And just being engaged with different thoughts. And and that's what really just all of a sudden something just, it was May of 2018. I realized I need to start working towards coming here. It didn't work through Adobe just because of legal and just ugh, visa stuff, as you probably know, is very difficult. But two things happened at the end of in 2019. I decided that for once, I knew I could do marketing. I knew I could do creative, both sides of the brain function, but I, I felt like I confused a lot of people because I didn't, I came from a design background. I have a bachelor's of fine arts. So I decided to get an MF, um, MBA, but not going to LSE or LBS or Warwick, which they're wonderful. I decided I want to go more of a design route. So I decided to go to Central St. Martin. So I planted that seed. But then also in parallel, I burned out whilst I was at Adobe because all the massive traveling I did. So at the end of 2019, what I decided to do when things came to the end with Adobe, I bought a one-way ticket and moved to London um, to take a sabbatical and then uh, aligned with COVID. So that, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So that's how I ended up in London. And like, I did get into Central St. Martin's. I did once COVID sort of quieted down for the first major wave, I did come back to London or UK and have been here over a year now. You covered a little bit of it, but I was really interested in like, you know, that you're obviously involved in the industry and the community in LA and in, in the States. What's the difference in the community? Can you go into that a little bit more? I, it's been about two years, two, three years since I've been involved in the Los Angeles community. But I think in our earlier discussion, we talked about like just doing that. I've done a lot of events. I remember about five, 2016, I did one event, which was about coffee and design. And somebody criticized me and said, there's not enough designers on the panel. I'm like, but there were, there's a former global barista champion. He designs, there's people who own coffee shops who own not neutral mugs. It's a different way. It's experiential design. It's a different perspective design. And I always felt to some degree, I was always trying to push the envelope, but yet there was still a resistance. Whereas here in London, I remember uh, actually almost two years ago for London Design Festival 2020 with a lovely friend of mine, Deborah Ray Burns, who runs Propella Speakers. Uh, she led and I co-created with her a whole program, about five-day program called Redesign Business. And bringing in diverse thought perspectives in it. And there really wasn't a complaint at all. We, I interviewed into Jahar. We brought in Kat Drew of the Design Council to speak about feminist business. But we also brought in somatic therapy into it and just bringing different elements to help feed into creativity, the future, and think about it and be progressive. So I feel like that's hopefully that clarifies like the difference. That's how I felt. But it's just sort of pushing and bringing those diverse thoughts that are not status quo, going around the hairball. And I always felt, even though, design is supposed to be a future or creativity is supposed to be forward facing, future facing. It's not just, I can see down the street. You have to see down the street around the corner and then around a hairball and also embrace change too. And when I was in LA, they weren't embracing the change. They weren't embracing that future thought. Hmm. I've even found that here, 
in my own sort of practice, in my own sort of little world of creativity, that there's a real need to bucket people into what they do. And there's, I've often, because I have a, it's all in design, but it is um, a bit of a varied background in terms of motion. And I have honestly felt like I've spoke a different language up until maybe a year ago, that no one could quite understand how someone with this background could do this, even though they're essentially the same thing. People are not comfortable with things blending and that to me seems incredibly antiquated and I think that's why I find what you do quite interesting. Thank you. And I always feel like, as you're mentioning that though too, because even thinking about that, it's, I was, woke up really early this morning, I was reflecting upon my dissertation and just thinking about making the connections for my questions and so forth. And it's shocking that the creative industry, we are supposed to be about change, embracing change, creating opportunities for diverse communities that are separate from your community. But yet at the same time too, you look at the foundation or the structural foundation of this industry and it's just so deep and the, people are talking about it consistently, but it's like, where is it going? What's, why can't the design or creative industry switch? What is it? There is the paternalistic you know, element. There's a colonistic element tied into that, but things won't change. And it's just that control, that boxing that you're talking about, Sumi. And it's so funny you speak about like, sort of like LA and the UK, and I've always sort of looked outwards and thought, oh, it's going to be way different there just because, and this is going to might sound silly, but just because there's literally the population to support that, to support a variation of thought bit disheartening to hear that maybe not <laughs> well I will, I will have to say like I'll caveat the one reason why I moved to LA was I had got my undergrad degree in uni at art school in New York City and I wanted of course just change of scenery but I felt at that time was if I was if I was in New York and which I felt was the establishment if I did something wrong I would be brandished would have a scarlet letter whereas in LA if you failed you can get up redo something change and it would not impact you. And even years later, Moby, who was a diehard New Yorker, now he's a diehard Los Angeles, Los Angelian, Los An- I can't pronounce it anymore. Um, but he, he wrote a Guardian op-ed piece about that. And it's true, even though there is the flexibility, because you see how the different startup scenes are percolating and, but still, but still when it comes to design, there, I wouldn't, I just want to say it's not everything, but. This might be a good segue into your what you're doing in your MBA. So the question you're asking is, how can the design industry transform to be viable in the evolving society and economy? So this is design going up? I guess so. And looking at self and, and some of the supporting questions, like one of them is like, what are the barriers? And they have to grow up because we've been, I feel, I'm not sure, I would love to hear what you think, but in my viewpoint, I feel the design industry has been talking about these things for so long. You have design organizations setting up DEI task force, but what has what's the follow through? Doing design censuses and then nothing following through. We've been hearing about it for so long. Personally, I feel one thing is, I'll say graphic design. It came about, what, 175 years ago because of the Industrial Revolution. And it's been intrinsically entwined with business. So I'm wondering, is it one, because there's the element of fear of change and something new and failing and not being the same status because people love status and love excellence, just human nature, but also too, it's tied to business so much. Now, I know a lot of designers at agency side that want to move to a tech company. And it is because I don't know the design industry has the rules and the regulations and I don't want to say level of professionalism, but maybe the tech industry does have. And I I know a lot of people in agency are really attracted to that sort of 
be it work-life balance, be it um, level of being looked after, be it level of being appreciated that they might get in a tech industry. Did you find that at all? I will have to say it was interesting because I wasn't based out of San Francisco or in the major in the beginning. I worked out of Union Square at the end. And I feel each of the regions were different because I spent a lot of time in MIA. And I feel I will say to people that is my Adobe family is the MIA office that was based out of the shortage roundabout in London. They definitely are supportive. They definitely provide a lot. I didn't get, I wasn't there long enough, but they do provide infrastructure to help, say, women go up the leadership track and so forth. I know some of my friends are like, they want to leave just because they've been there so long, but yet they have great stock incentives. So you have that factor there too. Um, So there's a multiple factors, but yet I will have to say like everything looks green on the other side of the fence. Your friends are probably already looking into and talking with people and getting conversations and just getting a sense. But still, it's 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 still based on capitalism. It's still based on shareholder value. So I think that's another sentiment to keep in perspective. That's the one thing that even though three years ago the business roundtable said that they are going to change, they need to change capitalism from shareholder to stakeholder. That's not going to happen because when you have COVID, some of the highest returns and biggest dividend payouts, it's, it's, it's mental. So I would just say getting in the startup, like ground level of startup would be great. But if you're looking at tech, say established the incumbents, that's another thought. I just think that in-house, especially in tech, and especially I think even the last two years we've had and how taxing it's been on our mental health, like I think people are experiencing low level depression, like across the board, like no lie, tech in-house, it's, it's no longer a dirty word. It's something that people want to live lives that are fun and happy and that make them feel good. And that's really a premium right now. And I think that that's being offered by a lot of these companies. Oh, without a doubt. I agree with you there more so than the established Fortune 500 or FTSE 100 companies there without a doubt. Uh, even as interesting the the mental health level, I was watching the BBC News last night, and they're because we might here in the UK have another uh, circuit breaker. We don't know what's going on, but they're talking about deaths and so forth. And I forgot the percentage, but they're talking about people dying of a, of a broken, not broken heart, but dying of loneliness, dying of like mental health attributed deaths in the UK last year. And so, I if anything, having these tech companies or these startups, even if they're not even going through the first round or something, there is a community there that you don't have in more of the incumbent companies or the agencies. There is appeal there. One of the things we really want to talk about is you do so much outside the job and it sounds as if you've always done that. Like where, where does this fire come from that to kind of be involved, to volunteer, to help others and, and I know you know personally like every time I've asked you to do something you've like without a doubt said yes where does that come from I don't it's just been innate in me since I can remember um I didn't know what that was called until I actually until I started my MBA I'm servant leader servant leader wow and servant leadership and transformational leadership are probably two of the main leadership styles for the 21st century if not servant leadership like I learned the definition of what i what my characteristic was as a leader. 10 years ago, I was at the Dyline, with Dyline is the largest packaging website in the world run by Andrew Gibbs. They had a forum in San Francisco. So I went to it and it was David Turner of Turner Duckworth with the former VP of design, I believe, Vince Voron of Coca-Cola and a couple other design leaders. But David Turner said something that has just stood in my brain, especially coming from a middle-aged white man. 
in the design industry. And he was talking about the best creative director he had at that point. She was, you would not know that she was the, the creative director of the team. She would be standing in the background, letting her team take the, you know, the glory and shine. And that really stood out to me because so many times within the design industry or just in general in Western culture, you would always see the leader taking the lead. And that just sung to me. And I realized that Mattel, there was no external speakers and speakers point blank coming in. And as a creative community, you need that for nourishment. So that's how I co-founded and then ultimately led the first external speaker series at Mattel that was grassroots and just looking to see, to bring diverse thought. And like I brought in Dr. Nelly Ben-Huyun in the beginning and it grew so much that I was almost doing it every other week on a point, bringing in Debbie Millman, Leland Mashmeyer, Brian Collins, uh, and then even culminating in the creative conference I did uh, that had John Maida now of Everbridge. And at that time he was still automatic. And then also Kat Holmes, which is, she's probably one of the top inclusive design experts in the world. And she's right now, she's SVP of design at, at um, Salesforce. Even though it was taxing and time consuming, and I'm not an administrative person because I hate having to schedule rooms and sending out invites and hassling, I still did that. And I, just because I wanted to see the potential and help people and provide them the opportunity to grasp, because I know a lot of people just maybe just the way they're grown up, their opportunities in learning, are different than mine and they everybody comes to different circumstances. I want to provide them the opportunity to be able to look at things differently. You are so inclusive and you do do so much and you do give back so much. Is it because your way into the industry was was not a straight line? Is it potentially you have empathy towards others that are trying to do that? It's a very rare person that can provide something that they have not felt. No, that that's very true. It's I'm I've experienced been the other side of the coin where I've had female leaders treat me horribly because there's that sentiment that I've been through it, so you have to go through that, and it just perpetuates the issues we have. I always look for a way to help and support without a doubt because the design industry, you know, is not inclusive, especially when it comes to internships and so forth. You know, never not creative hits a point these points, and yet at the same time too. The industry is talking about we need to change things, but it takes one person at a time to change it. And then there'll be a groundswell. But it was funny. I forgot who said it to me, but they're like, who don't you know? Or I do have my boundaries and and so forth. But whenever I can, I'll help people and connect people to things. I want to circle back to your boundaries. I have, I've said it to Matt, I've treated this podcast series as my personal therapy. So in researching you, in preparing for this podcast, I read that you draw a lot of inspiration from Angela Merkel, who's the Chancellor of Germany, and that you yourself advocate leading with empathy and heart and not ego, which I know you just spoke about. This really, really resonated with me because essentially the experience I've had in the industry up until approximately two years ago, I was really of the belief that I could really never be a leader because I wasn't, I hate to say it, but male, alpha or strong or assertive, whatever those powerful words are. Those are the only examples I had really seen up until that point. And it was only when I started to really get this mentor called T. Unglo, who is the ECD or CD of Google Labs. And she was like, oh no, you've had a very narrow view of what leadership is. And I think in reading like or in researching you, I think that you have that same sort of approach to leadership. And I think as an industry, as a design industry, we're starting at the very beginning to embrace sort of different ways to lead. I really want to ask you, do you feel like this cookie cutter approach to leading is changing? From my perspective, I feel it is slow going. 
And also too, it's the balance between authentic or inauthentic because our culture loves ticking the box and doing things. So that's the one thing that makes me concerned and seeing some leaders who are op- embracing or in- evoking heart and so forth. But then you see the flip side of it and it doesn't show through and you see the nastiness. I'm not sure if you're familiar with House of Beautiful Business. It's a think tank out of Berlin and they're trying to make business more beautiful and more human. And every year usually coincide with Web Summit. They have a, a conference itself. And I was listening to Jessica Ork in, in the closing key, uh, talk. She's the CEO of SY Partners. And she was talking about bringing heart into the business model. And the whole conference itself was called Concrete Love, about how to bring heart and love into business. I cannot see any other way of leading without doing that. And it it frustrates me when I'm still seeing and reading reports from like Zoe Scanum with what's going on in the advertising, you know, in the agency world. Still in 2021, I just, I, I'm baffled. So I, I can't see any way around it, but our industry is definitely slow at, at it right now. I feel like sometimes it's a heavy thing to sort of, to sort of bear. Like you're like, oh, it's got to be different, right? And I'm trying to be different, but it's really, it's really tough. And that kind of leads me to this other sort of question in mentoring and helping and connecting and in, in passing on positivity, how do you maintain the boundaries of yourself? How do you keep enough for yourself? Because in giving, it does take a lot out of you. You love giving and you receive, get that. That's great. But how do you not feel depleted? It's tough actually, um, because I'm an empath and to create that boundary, it's been very hard. I'm going to reference Jessica Orkin again, and this is more business, but I think I can relate it, make a connection to personal. I feel like this is, if anything, it is a liminal space, not just changing jobs, but rethinking of how we do everything in our life. What this, everything has been percolating there, but COVID ripped this, the band, like ripped everything open for us to see. So the quote that really helped me says, we must slow down because if we don't, we will rebuild a world with the same injustices and inequality built into the foundational structure. So using that is I've had to slow down. I've slowed down massively. Even just flying to Lisbon, then a week later, doing a 36-hour trip to Berlin and back. Three years ago, when I was at Adobe, I've been like thriving, loving it and so forth, ignoring the signs. But now I'm like, I can't do that again. I think what happened was even before COVID, I had to take myself into the, the A&E in the middle of the night in Brooklyn. And I'm sitting there on the gurney just bleeding. And I just had a, a moment. It's like, not, you just had to figure out your non-negotiables. For me, it's slowing the fuck down. Because if I don't, and if I still go through the motions of going through all these healing modalities and so forth, if I don't slow down and actually sit in the pain and sit and acknowledge the pain, let it ride through, it's going to be there still. My friend told me to get a ticket two days before the 1.0 in UK occurred because I was able to go home to my parents for seven months and it was very cathartic. It slowed me down because I was in the middle of Vermont in just country. That's the one thing, how I've been able to get back on track. It's taken me God knows how long. And I will say I used alcohol in the past and over-exercising. Like even in prep school, I had you know several variations of eating disorders, um, always other ways of self-medicating and dealing with just going forward. So, but now it's like, I can't do anymore. I have to slow down. That's huge. Did you feel a lot of guilt in the slowing down? I think I feel that the timing was perfect because if I try to slow down in corporate, it would be hard because I would feel people would try to usurp me. And I think also with the slowing down, it's focusing on, as I referenced before, the balance of being your body versus your head. And that's, I feel to that point is 
that guilt that you were alluding, like asking about, about slowing down, it's mostly the mind. It's that. So if you can get 20% up here, 80% of your body, and if I constantly work at that, that it doesn't make a difference. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And at the end of the day, if they do something horrific or something, I always feel karma. I believe in karma. It's going to, you know, somehow, some way it'll come back to bite them in the ass. I believe everything eventually comes out in the wash. Thank you for being so honest, like especially talking about being in your body versus in your mind. And no one really talks about that. Um, It's not stuff that's talked about or said. It's stuff that's glossed over that we should figure out ourselves. You were really honest. Thank you. I, even though I come across people think I'm an extrovert at times, like I will, you know, strike up conversations with anybody. I do have an introvertism and I've always been very quiet and hesitant to say what I need to say, but I just feel it's just who I am. And people need to just start being their authentic self. I want to see more leadership leaders that are vulnerable and that are just the, which is authenticity through all these transitions. The one quote, like once I would always hit a level and then all of a sudden I would get this, this gut feeling. And it was always the Annis Nin quote that, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk to blossom. And with that quote, we're going to leave it there as I think it sums up the conversation with V incredibly well. So that's the mini-series about positivity all done. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're managing to find some positivity in your life, your work, your day-to-day. With everything that's happening, it can be hard to find it, that positivity. But I really like how all our guests for this mini-series talked about how they're rising above the issues, their barriers, and they're listening and following their hearts. Thanks again to Samita. It was such a pleasure to co-host with you. And thanks again to the audience for listening. Send us an email at hello at ozdesignradio.com or leave us a review if you have a sec. Until next time, take care of yourself and keep that positivity burning. Mm -hmm.